Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Christopher assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Mind of a Slave. The Mind of a Slave. Mental slavery is far more sinister than physical slavery. Why? Because the chains aren't in, they're, they're invisible. And guess what? Those invisible chains can be transmitted across generations, brothers and sisters. We may be free from the whip, but not from the control. The abolition of slavery gave us deliverance, but it didn't set us free, brothers and sisters. Deliverance and freedom are two different things. We plan on proving that. Today, So follow us. We're going to Jeremiah, the 50th chapter, the 33rd verse. Follow us there, brothers and sisters. We're going to start off in the Tanakh. Jeremiah 50, verse 33. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together. And all that took them captives. And what, brother? And all that took them captives held them fast. They refuse to let them go. So here it is, brothers and sisters. Here we read the current state of affairs concerning our people. Could you read that again, brother? Because we're seeing that the Most High shows himself sensible of the oppression we constantly endure. Verse 33. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together. Now, why is it saying the children of Israel and the children of Judah? When the kingdom was split after Solomon, brothers and sisters, you had the ten tribes, which are the native Hispanic tribes, right? And then you had Judah, which are the black tribes. So you would have Benjamin, Judah, and Levi. Levi is the Haitians. Judah is the Negroes, of course. And then you had Benjamin, which is the West Indies, Trinidad, Tobago, uh, Jamaica. So here it is. He's showing that separation because during this time, they were separate. You had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So whoever lived in Judea was part of the, you know, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. That's why it's showing a separation here. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 33. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together. And all that took them captives held them fast. They did what? Held them fast. They refused to let them go. They did what, brother? And held them fast. They refused to let them go. They refused. So it's telling you, number one, all the people that have taken us captive, they refuse to let us go. So guess what? The refusal to relinquish the yoke points to a perpetual state of oppression. Brothers and sisters, we go from one captivity to another. We go from the Egyptian captivity. We end up in a Babylonian captivity. We end up in a Persian captivity. We end up in a Greek captivity. And here we find ourselves in the Roman captivity. We've served all nations, brothers and sisters. We served all nations. And the Bible is telling you those who have taken us captive refuse to let us go. Okay? Let's go to Ecclesiastes, brother, in the, in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, the seventh verse. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 7. What's that say, brother? Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, 
and a gift destroyeth the heart. Now remember, the text previous, Jeremiah the 50th chapter, the 33rd verse said, The children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together. All that took them captives held them fast and refused to let them go, right? Read that, brother, verse 7. Verse 7. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Now look at that, because according to the text, we're proving that perpetual oppression has the ability to affect the mind. Read that again, brother. Verse 7. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad. It does what, brother? Maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. See, so the author implies a... A disturbance of the mind as a result of perennial subjugation. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad. So here we learn two common methods used to target the mind and the emotions. You see that, brothers and sisters? So people wonder why it appears that we're always angry, which we're not. But if we were, have we not reason? You see that, brothers and sisters? Surely oppression maketh not a foolish man, a wise man mad. Why? Because he's looking at the subjugation. He's looking at the oppression. He's looking at the difference in how people are being treated, right? Guess what? If it wasn't for black men, I mean, no one stands up for, for social injustice more than black men. Nobody. So if it wasn't for black men, Brothers and sisters, it would even be it, it would be even worse. Think about it. Think about the Malcolm X's. Think about the Martin Luther King's, right? Think about the third good marshals. See? So if it wasn't for the so-called black man or the Jew, no one would stand up for social injustice. No one. Let's go to Jeremiah, the 50th chapter, the sixth verse, brother. Jeremiah 50 verse 6 My people have been lost sheep their shepherds have caused them to go astray they have turned them away on the mountains they have gone from mountain to hill they have forgotten their resting place they have what brother they have forgotten their resting place brothers and sisters this verse reflects the current condition of God's people can you read that again brother verse 6 my people have been lost sheep their shepherds have caused them to go astray. Who did? Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. So here it is, brothers and sisters. He's, he's pointing to the shepherds. He's pointing to the pastors. He's pointing to the leaders. He's showing the culpability of those who were supposed to lead us. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. So here it is. We see that by reason of the ancient covenant, the Most High made with our fathers, we are said to be lost. He said, my people have been what, brother? My people have been lost sheep. Lost sheep. Here is the great secret of unrest, brothers and sisters. The only proper resting place for the Most High's flock is in his fold. Because the end of the text says they have forgotten their resting place. So here the author implies that our weariness comes from misplaced or unrequited affections, brothers and sisters. Our people are lost sheep who have forgotten their resting place. 
It says we've gone from mountain to hill. What is that referring to? Brothers and sisters, anytime it talks about, well, most times it's talking about high places or mountains and hills. It's talking about idolatry, right? It's talking about worship and, and sacrifice. Where did, where did the Most High tell Abraham to go? Where did he tell Abraham to take his son um, Isaac? Exactly. Where did, where did Christ go to, you know, to experience the transfiguration? So when it's talking about they have turned them on the mountains, they have gone from mountain to hill. That's high place. That's what do you give high esteem? That's what it's referring to. What was it that we were given such high esteem? It's talking about idolatry. Our people will go to Christianity. Well, let me go over and be a Buddhist. Well, let me go over and be an Islam. I mean, a, a, you know, a Muslim. Well, let me go over and be a New Ager. Well, let me go over and be a Mormon. Why? Because the shepherds have led us astray, brothers and sisters. See, because why? It was always the priesthood in any community, amongst any people, any nation, any ethnic nation. The Everything ran through the priests. The priests were the most powerful, even above the king. When you look at the white community, who's the most powerful man in the white community? The Pope. Right? See? So through all nations, all nationalities of people, the worship leaders were the most important. Let's go to Jeremiah, the second chapter, brother. Let's read the 13th and the 14th verse, please. Jeremiah 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. How many, brother? Two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water. They have what? They have forsaken me the fountain of living water. So the first evil is desertion of the Most High. And hewed them out cisterns. Have done what? Hewed them out cisterns. Broken cisterns that can no hold water. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. The second evil is attempting to find a substitute for the Most High. Read that again, please, brother. Verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. What were the two evils, brother? They have forsaken me on the fountain of living waters. You have left on the only source that could quench that thirst. And hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns. That can hold no water. See, so these two evils go together. The one naturally leads to the other. So once you're no longer, once you go away from the Most High God, you start looking for something to replace the Most High God. So the text emphasizes how laborious and weary our life has become. Imagine this, having a vase, brothers and sisters. You're trying to transport water from one, one space to another. You have a vase, but that vase has a hole in it. So here it is, you, you fill your vase up, but it's broken. So the water is just, it's just coming out. It can't even hold water. Read that one more time, brother, because the author tells us that they who mistake the object of their happiness reduce themselves to slaves. Jeremiah 2 verse 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns broken cisterns that can hold no water continue is israel a servant is he a home is he a home-born slave why is he spoiled the prophet shows that israel was not in his original condition miserable 
You see that, brothers and sisters? Read that one more time, please. Verse 14. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? See? So he's telling you, my people work harder for greatly inferior supply. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? So look at this. Leaving the Most High has postured us for, for infinite labor. Brothers and sisters, what we're reading is self-inflicted slavery. Because why? Because we went against our God. And we, we, we look to place something else in the space where our God is supposed to be. And with that, you become a slave. See? With that, you become a slave. He said, my people have committed two evils. The first thing is they have forsaken the Most High. And not only did they forsake the Most High, they tried to replace the Most High. It says, is Israel a servant? A home-born slave. Why is he spoiled? Brothers and sisters, what does that mean? Why is he spoiled? If something is spoiled, that means it's no good. Brothers and sisters, you can't use it. You have to throw it out. See? Let's go to Romans, brother, the 8th chapter, the 12th verse. Let's go to Paul's epistles, brothers and sisters. Romans 8 and 12. We'll read 12 through 15. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now, brothers and sisters, examine verse 12 again, please. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We are debtors. Not to the flesh. To live after the flesh. So we have no obligation to oblige or pamper the flesh. Our debt is to the Most High, as the text would teach. Verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Proven that incurred debt must be reciprocated with service. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. See, so Paul constantly reminds us that living after the flesh ends in death. Brothers and sisters. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So here it is, brothers and sisters. Paul is teaching us or telling us if we live simply to gratify the flesh, we will certainly be disappointed. The pursuance of fleshly gratification results in what? A spiritual bondage. How do we know? Read verse 15, brother. Romans 8 and 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Read that again, brother, please. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Proven that there is a spirit of captivity or bondage. You see that? He said, listen. <laughs> You don't have to receive the spirit of bondage. So we first needed to prove that that mental slavery is what? It's a spirit. Our people are under a spirit. Why? Because we've been under continual pursuant oppression from one captivity to the next. So we first need to point this out. There's nothing wrong 
with saying that our people have a slave mentality because anyone who's been through what we've been through would have a slave's mentality. So we're not looking to excoriate our people. We're not looking to castigate our people. We're looking to reveal something. We're looking to shed light on something. Because why? If you don't shed light on it, you cannot fix it. So we must shed light on this, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Romans 12 and 2, brother. Just a few chapters away. Romans 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. According to Paul, brothers and sisters, without a new mentality, it would be impossible to discern what is acceptable. Can you read that again? Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are you transformed? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, mm -hmm. that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable. So, so here it is. He's telling you without a renewal of your mind, it's impossible to prove what is good and acceptable. So the call for a reprogramming proves that our current state is one of conformity, brothers and sisters. We have been subjugated so long we can't discern the difference between freedom and captivity. We're going to talk about it today, brothers and sisters. Follow us to Romans, the eighth chapter, the sixth verse. The mind of a slave. Romans 8, verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Let's first deal with the context, brothers and sisters. Then we'll subsequently conceptualize the text. Could you read verse 6 again, brother? Because these two states of carnal and spiritual mindedness divide the whole world. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. See, so setting our minds on one or the other leads in two different directions. Read 6 one more time. Listen to this clearly, please. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. Carnally minded leads to death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So look at that. Paul here proves that mentality and results are interdependent. You see that, brothers and sisters? Your altitude is, comes from your attitude. We can examine a person's mentality and prognosticate the future destination. Paul is showing us here. He said your mind, your mentality tells us, it prognosticates where the result is, where the destination is. Brothers and sisters, read the next scripture, brother, please. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That means enmity is telling you that the carnal mind is in a constant state of hostility against God. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. See, so it's telling you that a carnal mind will never be subject to the Most High God. They'll only be subject to their masters, which typically is their flesh. Remember... Paul said what? 
He who serves, whoever you yield to, you become a servant to, right? So whoever you follow, whoever you obey, you become a servant to. Who are most people following? Their flesh, brothers and sisters. Their flesh has become their God, right? They're being led by the drug addiction. They're being led by the the alcohol addiction. They're being led by the lust. They're being led by their loins. So every decision they make is based on smoking that reefer. Every decision they make is based on getting that drink. Every decision they make is about their loins. You see, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Matthew, brother, 17 and 24, while we're talking about that mind. Let's go to Christ. Matthew, the 17th chapter, the 24th through the 26th verse. Please listen to Christ closely. Matthew 17, verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they thought, excuse me, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? So here it was, brothers and sisters. You had some brothers questioning Peter about Christ and paying his taxes. Verse 25, he said, yes, and when he was come into the house, Christ prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, or, excuse me, of their own children, or of strangers? Read that again, brother. Read 24 again. Listen closely, brothers and sisters, because here it was, you had some tax collectors coming to try to catch Christ up, uh, to, to use this circumstance at his later trial. You had brothers that, according to the text, came to question Peter about if Christ paid taxes. Matthew 17 and 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He said, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Christ prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children, or of strangers? Now, brothers and sisters, Christ's purpose was not to argue for exemption, but to prepare the way for a lesson. They who received the tribute were not capable of comprehending the protest therefore it was addressed to peter you see that christ wanted to provide evidence of our subjugation to the heathen because he said who do who do the kings of the earth take taxes from their own children or strangers read that one more time brother verse 25 he said yes and when he was come into the house christ prevented him saying what thinkest thou simon of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, What did he say? Of strangers. Christ saith unto him, What did Christ say? Then are the children free. Read 26 one more time, please, brother. Listen closely. Verse 26. Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Christ saith unto him, What did Christ ask? Then are the children free. So look at that. He said, well, are the, you know, are the children free then? If the kings of the earth are only taking taxes and tribute 
from those who are strangers unto them than are the children free. What was Christ doing? He was providing evidence of our subjugation to the Gentiles. He was showing that in all reality, we were subjects of they who collected. He was implying that our people had a hard time identifying what captivity looked like. And here it is. He's talking to Peter. You know who Christ built the church on. So he took he took taxes to show. Who is he? Who is he taking taxes from? From his own or for the stranger? Peter said, well, of the alien, of the stranger. Christ said, well, then are we free? You see that, brothers and sisters? So right away, he was challenging how Israel, how we perceive freedom. <laughs> He's showing Peter like, Peter, I mean, freedom and deliverance are two different things. Right? They're not beating you with a bullwhip, but you have, you're not... You're not free. Okay? Let's go to Isaiah, brother, 61. Isaiah, the 61st chapter, the first through the third verse. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, brothers and sisters, why are they broken-minded or broken-hearted? Because that's the side effects of captivity. Look at it again. Read that one more time, brother. Because look at the link, the correlation between the brokenhearted or broken-minded and the liberty for captives. Isaiah 61 and 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. In the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Opening of the prison to them that are bound. Brothers and sisters. Now this is not physical prison. Brothers and sisters. He's talking about something completely different. It's obvious when he says broken hearted. We know he's talking about broken minded. So he's saying that our mind is in prison. Proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of the prisons to them which are bound. So. We're talking about what? The side effects of captivity. That's where the broken mind comes from. And until we identify what it looks like, we cannot correct it. So we have to identify it in order to correct it. And we intend to do that today, utilizing God's word, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Psalms 107, brother. Psalms chapter 107, verse 10. Psalms 107, verse 10. What's that saying, brother? Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God. Why? Because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. He brought down what? He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down. 
and there was none to help. So here the psalmist shows a correlation with the darkness and our captivity. Could you read verse 10 again, brother? Verse 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Now look at that. The darkness is the mental aspect of the physical captivity, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 11. Because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. With what? He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down. And there was none to help. So here it is. The psalmist implies that captivity subdues even the stoutest heart. Brothers and sisters. If we examine the text closely, it shows that captivity has a lasting effect on the mind. Now that we know there's been an effect on our mentality, we must identify it. Because here the psalmist is telling you. Read verse 12 again, brother. Verse 12. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? So it's, it's no way possible that we could not be, you know, affected by what has transpired. Even hundreds of years ago, because slavery still exists, brothers and sisters. It's just not with, with whips and chains. They got smarter. They knew they, they had to move it off of that. Darren, when you were talking about the abolition of slavery, they understood that the sentiment had changed. Even amongst white people, they were seeing it as barbaric, brothers and sisters. So they said, in order to hold them down, we have to take the chains away. We have to do something else. We're not going to be able to continue to do it this way. Now, we're going to hold them because how do we know? The first, Jeremiah said what? All that took them captive refused to let them go. So that, that implies that what? We're not free yet, brothers and sisters. And many of our people are walking around like they're free. <laughs> because they're not being beat with whips and chains. You're not free. Christ showed you. Christ told you. You're paying taxes. And that's just one of the things, brothers and sisters. We're going to identify a lot of things that are used to do what? Keep us in that mental space of slavery, of captivity. Why? Because you can never be free as long as you stay in the dark. Why? Because you can't see the chains. See? So we have to shed light so you can see the chains, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Isaiah, brother Christopher. Isaiah, the fifth chapter, the 13th verse. Isaiah 5, verse 13. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. Why, brother? Because they have no knowledge. Why? Because they have no knowledge. And their honorable men are famished. And their multitude dried up with thirst. If we examine closely the text, we see the cause and effect. Let's, let's read it from the top, brother. Verse 13. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. Cause. Because they have no knowledge. Now look at that. We're seeing cause and effect, brothers and sisters. You see that? <laughs> Read that one more time, brother. Verse 13. Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Please examine the consequences of our delinquencies, brothers and sisters. 
because of the men of Israel, foolish, reckless, and willful ignorance, we see the reciprocation of captivity. He said, my people go into captivity because they have no knowledge. The honorable men, see, because in the Bible, it was the responsibility of the man to do what? To disseminate the knowledge. It was the man. It was the father. It was the men. And now, in this society, it's, it, I mean, nobody have less value than a man. <laughs> right? And that's on purpose. Because they understand that the Most High always used men. So there was a direct correlation with what the men were doing there. The behavior of the men and the current condition. Brothers and sisters. See? The man is the head. So if you want to... When you box, brothers and sisters, the first thing they teach you is how to hit the head. Because if you hit that head good, the whole body will fall down. And they understand this. If you want to turn the whole house around, get to the man. Okay? Let's go to Isaiah 27, brother. We'll stay in the same book, just a different chapter. Isaiah, the 27th chapter, the 10th and 11th verse. Isaiah 27, verse 10. Yet the defense city shall be desolate, and the habitation forsaken, and left like a wilderness. There shall be... There shall the calf feed, and there shall he lie down, and consume the branches thereof. Continue. When the boughs thereof are withered. When the boughs is talking about a tree. When the boughs thereof are withered, they shall be broken off. The women come. They do what? The women come, and set them on fire. For it is a people of no understanding. Why are the women able to come and set them on fire? For it is a people of no understanding. Therefore, he that made them will not have mercy on them. And he that formed them will show them no favor. Here the author emphasizes the women of Israel's hand in our destruction. Brothers and sisters, read verse 11 again, please. Because the women are naturally security driven. So they began to take the helm in lieu of our negligence. It says because men weren't stepping up. Women started taking over, right? Read that again, please. Verse 11. When the bows thereof are withered, they shall be broken off. The women come and set them on fire, for it is a people of no understanding. Now, brothers and sisters, in ancient Israel, it was a man's responsibility to kindle the fire. That's why it's telling you when the branches are withered, they shall be broken off. The women started the fire. So the author is emphasizing women taking on man's responsibility. They began to add fuel to an already burning fire, brothers and sisters. See? This is the effects. These are the effects here. Satan is against the man. All throughout the literature, you'll find that Satan looked to kill the man. The women he took captive. All throughout the manuscript, the women were taken captive, the men were killed. Satan is not the enemy, even the physical enemy, he's not scared of women. <laughs> okay? He'll let the women live. The men, though, there's a scripture in the Bible where it says that he would kill anything that pisseth on the wall, brothers and sisters. That's actually in the Bible. 
when it talks about pissing on the wall, that's a man. Only a man can pee on the wall. So everyone knows that if you want to take something down, you have to go through the man. Okay? And here it was. Isaiah told us what? Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. The honorable men are famished. Their multitude dried up with thirst. It's all connected to the man and his lack of production, his lack of understanding, his lack of application. And what comes from that? Isaiah 27 and 11 says that the women (laughs) started doing the man's job. Why? Because the man has no understanding. Because why? Sisters, you know, Israelite women are not going to stand by, (laughs) okay, and do nothing. When the man is not doing what he's supposed to, then the sister feel like she need to get up and start doing things, which never works. And we're going to show you. Let's go to Isaiah, the third chapter, brother. Isaiah 3 and 12. Examine this, Israel. Isaiah 3, verse 12. As for my people... Children are their oppressors. Who? Children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy path. Look at that. Isaiah reveals a society that can be aptly described as upside down. Those who should be leading are not, and those who should not are. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 12. As for my people... Children are their oppressors. So the children are being used to oppress. And women rule over them. Look at this. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err. So on one hand, it's telling you that the women are in dominion. They're ruling over the men. And then on the other hand, it's telling you those in leadership are causing you to err. You see that, brothers and sisters? When men abdicate their roles, the women and children take up the slack, acting outside of the bounds of their created makeup. So the author, the author says that forcing a woman into leadership, it does what? It ends in devastation. Look at it. Read that again, please. Verse 12. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people. They which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy path. See? Because there needs to be a man there. When there's no man there, it affects the children. The children become the oppressors. Well, can we just, you know, can we just do the holiday one time? We're going to do it for the children. See? So the children were being used to oppress the men. And the men would do what? They would submit. And then what would happen after that? Everything would be destroyed. So the author is telling us that forcing women into a leadership role ends in devastation. Why? Because they're inexperienced and unqualified. When the man is out of course, the nation suffers. A woman is supposed to be a help meet. She's supposed to help, right? She's not supposed to steer. She's not supposed to drive. And this is part of the captivity, brothers and sisters. We need to point this out because in our community, especially the black community, I've never seen so many reverse relationships, so many reverse households when the woman is wearing, you know, never seen it in any other community like it is in ours. 
And that's part of the slave mentality. Let's go to Genesis, brother, the third chapter, the 16th verse. A scripture we've read many times, but possibly not in the light in which it will be explained today. Genesis 3, verse 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Brothers and sisters, in every part of a woman's life there is concern. And Satan will look to manipulate that spirit of trepidation. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. Read that again, brother. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So look at this, brothers and sisters, because the curse on Eve was that the woman's desire would be to usurp the place of the man's headship. See, this verse is one of the most difficult in all of the Old Testament to explicate because the English translation is deceptive. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 16, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Now remember, this is a curse here, brothers and sisters, okay? In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. Now I've seen many people, I've seen many people uh, interpret this as saying that she's going to desire, she's going to want to desire to be with her husband. It's not saying that because look at the second half of that same text. And thy desire what, brother? And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. You see that contrast? Her desire would be to her husband, and he shall rule over you. If this text is saying that her desire would be to be with her man and all that, what? why is it talking about he shall rule over thee? It's telling you that she, the Most High, put a curse there because of Eve and Eve leading her husband, right? When he should have been leading, that she would have a, there's a desire, there's something in a woman where she believes she's supposed to be the authority. Happy wife, happy life, right? So the Most High is showing that a woman would feel this way, but the man will not allow it. He shall rule over thee. See, she's going to have that desire, but man won't allow it. See, now the war comes in. Let us prove that, brothers and sisters. Let us prove that where it says thy desire shall be to thy husband is talking about her desire to usurp the man's headship, his authority. What we would have to do in this, in this moment, brothers and sisters, is we would look. For a scripture that uses the same type of vernacular, right? Let's go to Genesis 4. We don't have to go far. Let's go to Genesis 4 and 7. Look at the verbiage here. Genesis 4 verse 7. And this is to Cain. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If you do the right thing, Cain, will you not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. What lie at the door? Sin lieth at the door. Listen. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Read that again, brother. Verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall he and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Examine how similar the grammatical construction is to one another. 
brothers and sisters. The author represents sin as desiring to dominate and devour Cain. Do you see that? Read that again, please, brother. Verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou, be, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. If you don't do well, sin is at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. And unto thee shall be his desire. It's talking about sin. His desire should be to rule over you, but... And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. See, so he's saying his desire is going to be to dominate you, but you have to rule over that sinful desire. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? See? So sin's desire was to entice and persuade him to that which was evil and prevail and rule over him. Now, some may say sin doesn't have the ability to dominate over a man. We beg to differ. Let's go to Romans 6 and 12. Now you're starting to understand Genesis 3 and 16. The curse that the Most High was putting on her was not that she was going to want to be up under her man. It's that she would want to rule over her man. The same way Eve did. And that's why the Most High had to change it up. He had to put things back in order. Because Eve had gotten out of order. Eve had gotten out of order. It was obvious because she knew what was right. Because Adam taught her as the man is supposed to do. Right? But yet she got caught talking to someone she ought not to be talking to. So you have to be careful who you're talking to out there. Right? Just imagine you have somebody, you know, a spouse or something like that, and they listening all up in, you know, somebody all up in their ear and they listening to. It. See, she should have cut that off. But understand, brothers and sisters, when did that transpire? That transpired while she was away from Adam. See, that's when Satan comes. He comes at the sister when she has no man there. That's when he comes to entice her. Why? Because he knows that she's emotional. She's led by her emotions. He knows that the Most High put an inordinate sense of worry in her. She's worried about everything. See? And the doctors play on that. Did you get your pap smeared? Did you get this? Did you get that? Sisters go to the doctor just for checkups. <laughs> they'll tell you anything. Mammogram, they'll smash your chest all, you know. They just want to get you in the hospital. So they can find something wrong with you. See, they understand this. They understand what sisters are dealing with. And men have to understand this. According to the text, there's something inordinate going on with the sister and her feelings. And men have to be sensitive to that also. But we went here to show you what? Sin does have the power to dominate a man. Let's read it, brother. Romans 6 verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Read that again, brother. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Read 12 one more time, brother. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey in the lust thereof. Jump to verse 14, brother. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Read that again, brother, please. 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Proving that sin does have the power to dominate and devour, like we read in Genesis, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse. The contents of these texts corroborate our interpretation of Eve's curse. Let's go back there now, because we first needed to prove that sin has the power to dominate. It desires to have dominion. That's what it was referring to in Genesis, the third chapter, the 16th verse. We're going back there. We're going back to Genesis 3 and 16. Please follow us, brothers and sisters. Genesis 3, verse 16. What's that say, brother? Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. That's one part of the curse. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. That's part of the curse. And thy desire shall be to thy husband. Part of the curse is your desire would be to usurp your husband. And he shall rule over you. But he will rule over you. So here we see the inception of the feminist movement. See? Based on the result of the curse, women would have a sinful inclination to usurp the authority of men. Here we see the curse totally obliterates the fundamental shape of biblical gender roles. The text emphasizes an ongoing struggle between man and woman. The battle of the sexes finds its birth in this particular text. She would have a desire to be the authority of what goes down, but the man is against his nature. So he will not allow it. He should not allow it. But obviously, we... Even the men have been broken down where they're allowing women to rule over them. Men have lost their strength. Men have lost their power. Men have lost their manhood, especially in the black community. When you go into the white community, especially some of the older white community, that's not going on. That's not going on. Let's go to First Timothy, brother. The mind of a slave. First Timothy 2 and 12, brother. First Timothy 2, verse 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, brothers and sisters, the Pauline text bequeathed a powerful anti-feminist ideology. Could you read that again? Verse 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. See? So Paul emphasizes the prohibition of a woman assuming a stance of independent authority. The Bible chronologized the perpetual Excuse me, the Bible chronologized the perpetuation of the egalitarian concept with Jezebel, brothers and sisters. See that? If Satan can get the woman to disregard the man's authority, he can move her outside of the natural protection of the man, exactly where he wants you. <laughs> exactly where he wants you. It tells you Adam was not deceived, he was disobedient. There was a difference. <laughs> He wasn't deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. Eve, she was actually deceived. See? So we're not here to say Adam was any better. 
Eve was she was actually deceived. She 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 didn't know. Adam knew exactly what he was doing, and that's why <laughs> the Most High created Adam first. According to the Bible, whatever comes first is authority. Okay, whatever comes first is responsible for what comes next, just like parents and children. And it makes it clear that Adam was not deceived. The woman was deceived. And women are easily deceived. Sisters, let's be real. How many times have you been deceived? How many times have you been deceived from a brother? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So admit it. Admit it. Let's go to Ezekiel, brother, 34 and 31. The mind of a slave. We had to do this for our people, brothers and sisters. Because we have to get out of this, this captive mindset. But it's hard to identify the mindset without the Bible. We're not here to blame our people. We're here to say we understand. In fact, the Most High understands. And therefore, He gave us the manuscript to show us how to unravel this maze. He understands that being in captivity for this long, it has to affect your mind. And anyone saying otherwise is speaking foolishness. Read 31, brother, please. Ezekiel 34, verse 31. And ye my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men. They're who? Are men. They're who? Are men. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 31, and ye my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. Men were specifically made for the service of the Most High. Men have to be the foundation of any implemented change. Why? Because when men fulfill their God-given purpose, it changes the entire structure of society. Now we see why there's a war on masculinity. Every black man understand this. He have to lighten the tone of his voice. He got to put a purse on and all this stuff. He got to have tight, you know. Oh, he's yelling. He's, he's angry. He's, he's raising his voice. <laughs> see? That's why they had to get Donald Trump out of there, brothers and sisters. Not that I'm a fan of this because I'm not. But Donald Trump reminded America what masculinity looked like. I do what I say. I do what I want whenever I want. And you're not going to do anything about it. See, that's what he was reflecting, brothers and sisters. Masculinity. I'm in charge. I say whatever I want to say. What are you going to do about it? And they had to move that out of there. Because now what? <laughs> They're not, they, they're trying to push this feminist movement. Now we look, look, look at what we have. <laughs> we have a female vice president. They had Barack in there, right? Soft-spoken, intelligent brother. But there was nothing masculine about his, you know, his character. Not saying he was feminine, but there was nothing overly masculine there. Right? We're seeing why. Read it again, please, brother. Ezekiel 34 and 31. And ye my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men. Are who? Are men. And I am your God, saith the Lord God. S saith who? 
Saith the Lord God. Saith the commandment keepers church. Saith the Lord God. Saith brother Sid and brother Christopher. Saith the Lord God. The most high said the flock of his pasture is men. That's what the most high said. So any woman preacher and all that need to step down. Because I don't see how you could be doing that. When Paul in the New Testament says a woman can't have authority over a man, especially in a church structure. Because remember, those letters, those epistles were just that they were letters to the church. So it's telling you in a church structure, when it comes to the most high, woman cannot be an authority over the man. That's confusion. Anytime you see that, understand Satan is at work. Now, sisters are great teachers with other stuff. So they may teach you how to sew and cook and do taxes and all that. Yeah, all that's fine. We're not saying sisters can't teach. But when it comes to God's word, that's not your position, sister. And if you start doing a man's job, that means the job that God created for you is going undone. Everyone can't drive the ship, steer the ship. So sisters are great at what God intended them to be. For what God intended their use. Men are great. For what God intended them to be. Things have, have gone. You know haywire. And it's part of the slaves mentality. We needed to point it out. If you're seeing this amongst your family. Amongst your friends. Where the woman is the authority. Right. And you know how they did this brothers and sisters. They made it so sisters would make more money than the brothers. They did that on purpose. That was part of how they could get the woman to assume the authority. Because since she's making more money, she's the authority. You do what I tell you to do. I was listening over here in a conversation the other day. A brother, you know, just venting, you know, in the barbershop. And um, saying, yeah, man, listen, you... You know, the vaccines and all that stuff that's going on with your children. You got to put your foot down in your house. He said, it's not my house. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is where it is. They did this strategically. And it starts at high school. Why? Because sisters learn linearly. So you can put anything in front of a sister and she can learn it, whether she's interested or not. See, and that's why they started using the education that way, because men... They don't learn like that. Men only learn what they're interested in. Brother Christopher, I need you to read Ezekiel 34 and 31 one more time. Ezekiel 34, verse 31. And ye my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men. And I am your God, saith the Lord God. And anyone who says otherwise is of the devil. Okay? This society is trying to minimize the importance of men. And this goes on, especially in our community. There's a reason why they're trying to feminize all black men. There's a reason why they elevate the status of the black men they have elevated. There's a reason for this, brothers and sisters, because they know as long as the man is weak, they can continue to steamroll over our entire nation. They'll use the children. They'll use our women as bed layers, as rump shakers. That's what they use our sisters for. Our sons as what? Jail labor. See? They know they got full 
access to the entire family. Why? Because the man ain't a man anymore. In fact, let us show you what David had to say about a man being a man. Let's go to 1 Kings, brother. 1 Kings, the second chapter, the first through the third verse. 1 Kings 2, verse 1. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, He told this to his son Solomon. I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Do what? Show thyself a man. Imagine that. What a thing for a father to say before he leave the earth to his son. He said, prove yourself a man. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Now remember, David was a man who, who slew thousands. Giants and all that, right? Who it tells you he was a good looking man. Women salivated over David, right? But I want you to see what he said the measurement of a man was. Remember, this is a man who was king. This was a man who had a harem, a harem, you know, of, of women. This was a man who slayed many men, including giants. Read verse 2, brother, please. Verse 2, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. He told his son, prove yourself a man. Verse 3, how do you prove yourself a man? And keep the charge of the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, and his commandments, and his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest. And whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Here we read David's measurement of a man. See? We're reading about what true godly masculinity is. Read verse 2 again, please, brother. First Kings 2 and 2. I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Show yourself a man, son. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God. To walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, and his commandments, and his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. See, so our nation and its entirety must be reprogrammed. This is why Paul called for a renewed mind, because our women and children need protection. There's too many dynamics working against them. David was showing you this is what a man is. Okay? This is what a man is. Not slaying Goliath. Not having a man killed for his wife. Not being a king. That's not a man. Being a man is honoring the Most High. Keeping God first before all things. And here it is. We're showing you that there's too many threats to the existence of our children and our women for men to be, you know, caught up smoking ganja somewhere playing, uh, you know, video games. Not that I have a problem with video games and all that, but it come a time where the, the games have to stop, man. When a man functions within the principles of biblical manhood, those around him benefit from his leadership and care. See, we had to we we had to pull this out 
Because what we're seeing running rampant throughout our communities with the, the reverse household, where the woman have the final say, and the man is just doing whatever the woman wants so she can be quiet, that's part of the slave's mentality. <laughs> that's part of the perpetuation. See? Now, one thing I've learned is when we come into the truth, we start understanding who we are. We start following the laws again. Naturally, sisters become less masculine. Because a lot of our sisters, they struggle with that. Because a lot of times, uh, men were not stepping up. Um, they're raising children on their own, um, amongst other things. And there becomes a, a masculine exterior on a lot of our sisters. And the men who are being raised by their mothers have become feminized. Why? Because there's no man there. So he only really knows how to handle situations one way, and that's the way his mom taught him. It's not his fault. Where else could he learn how to handle certain situations? This is what's going on in our communities, brothers and sisters. This is why we're running, killing each other over, you know, words. <laughs> Very emotional. So everything is out of course, brothers and sisters. Everything is out of course, and we have to point it out. Because typically when you come into this truth, understanding who you are, the man starts to assume his role again as a man. And the sisters start to realize, well, listen, I'm not even made to be leading like that. In fact, I don't even want to lead. I think a lot of sisters would love for a man, <laughs> you know, a lot of our mothers who were single and raised these boys. She would have loved for a man to have been there, to rub her back, to pay some bills, to take out the trash. Trust me. Let's go to Proverbs 24 and 5, brother. Why? Because we had to redefine what a man is. Proverbs, the 24th chapter, the 5th verse. Proverbs 24, verse 5. A wise man is strong. Yeah, a man of knowledge increases strength. Read that one more time, brother, because this is the number one law of power. Verse 5. A wise man is strong. Yeah, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. Knowledge is power. We must strengthen our nation with knowledge. Brothers and sisters, the text proves that we as men have had the wrong idea of masculinity. We've had the wrong idea of strength. Strength is not sleeping with a hundred women. Strength is not carrying a firearm on you. Strength is not joining a gang. Strength is not having tattoos all over your body. Strength is found where? In knowledge. See? We need the reprogramming. Paul said it best. There's no way for you to be able to prove what is acceptable unto the Most High unless you have a renewed mind. And we're proving that today. Let's go to Maccabees, brother. First Maccabees. Let's go to the Apocrypha. First Maccabees, the first chapter, the 56th and 57th verse. Follow us there, please. First Maccabees, 1, verse 56. And when they had rent in pieces the books of the law which they found, they burnt them with fire. And whosoever was found with any the book of the testament, 
or if any committed to the law, the king's commandment was that they should put him to death. Now, brothers and sisters, remember, Proverbs 24 and 5 said, A wise man is strong. A man of knowledge increases strength. The enemy understood this because here it was, the Greeks, Edomites here, doing what? Read 56 again, brother, please. Verse 56. And when they had rent in pieces the books of the law which they found, tore up the Bible, they burnt them with fire. And whosoever was found with any the book of the testament, or if any committed to the law, the king's commandment was. What was this commandment, brother? That they should put him to death. Mm. Brothers and sisters, examine the actions of our enemy while we were in captivity under the Greeks. They wanted our lack of knowledge to be an impediment to our spiritual defense. See? The, enemy is, the enemy's greatest power is what you don't know. You see that, brothers and sisters? Now our brothers don't even pick up a book. They were, I mean, I asked a brother the other day, when is the last time you purchased a book, brother? <laughs> when is the last time you read a book? Because it's, it's just not even in our culture anymore. And I would encourage our people, especially men, start getting, start getting some of this literature. Because the enemy is putting his information in the manuscripts, in his, in his books. Because he know you don't read. <laughs> See? He know you don't read. So they're admitting the truth and all that about who we are, about who our God is, about who they are. All of this is in the literature. That our people are not even thinking about. We're thinking about uh, hip, uh, BT, after dark, and all this. This is what we focused on. Hip-hop love. All that, right? While they're ripping up books and burning Bibles. Listen, if it don't matter, if there ain't nothing in the Bible that can release me, then why are you burning my Bible up? Why are you, matter of fact, if it doesn't matter, why are you killing people who you found with, with the Bible? See, that behavior is suspect already. That they would go through such lengths to keep us from reading that book. See? Let's go to 2 Timothy, brother, 2 and 15. Because it tells you that the Greeks ripped up every Bible they found and burnt them. And if they caught you with any of the Torah, Tanakh, you were dead. You were dead. 2 Timothy 2 and 15, brother. What does it say? 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Unto who? Unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Brothers and sisters, our lack of interest in reading and studying is evidence of a continued slave mentality. We are to endeavor in cultivating and improving our biblical comprehension according to the, the text. See, we're pointing out, brothers and sisters, how we can prove. We're pointing out the evidence that we're still under the slave's mentality. Because as slaves, we were not allowed to read. And now, you couldn't pay us to read. See, we're pointing out things that you can see amongst our people, in our communities, amongst our families, amongst our households, and say, okay, it's there. The mindset is still there. We have to break this. 
Read 15, brother, please. Verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What we don't know is where the enemy gets his strength from, brothers and sisters. I'm going to prove that. Let's go to Psalms, brother. 119 and 98. Psalms 119, verse 98. Psalms 119, verse 98. What's that say, brother? Though through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies. Read that again, brother. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies. Wiser than who? Wiser than mine enemies. For they are ever with me. The literature gives a wisdom and understanding infinitely above the cunning craft of our enemies. This was the reasoning behind the enemy impeding our ability to read. Read 98 one more time, brother, please. Verse 98. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies. Through thy commandments you have made me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. For what? For they are ever with me. See? So in order to protect our nation, we must educate our nation. In order to liberate our people, we must educate our people. Our relish for the word of God will be our greatest defense. It's only through the Bible that we are made wiser than our enemies. Because why? They're using the same blueprint. Over and over again. But if you don't read the Bible, you don't know the blueprint. <laughs> See? Once you start to follow the law, read the you know, read the book, study it, you start to see their snares. You start to see their traps from a mile away. Unless this scripture is a lie. So which is is this scripture a lie? Or are we made wiser than our enemies if we read the Bible? Let's go to 1 Corinthians, brother, 1 and 22. Let's go to the New Testament again. 1 Corinthians 1 and 22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Read that again, please, brother. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. What did the Greeks seek after? The Greeks seek after wisdom. Brothers and sisters, it is not a coincidence that the current administration of rulership desires wisdom. It says that our people are looking for something tangible, something they can see, something tangible, a miracle. The Greeks are seeking after wisdom. The Edomites, the white man has always been, the, they were the Plato's, they were the Homers, they always dealt with philosophy. They always were into knowledge, always. That's why they're the educators. They're the professors. See? So it's a clear contrast here in these two brothers because Esau is our brother, our big brother. The Jews are more physical. They're into tangible. The Greeks are seeking wisdom because they understand the power that come with knowledge. See? Let's go to 2 Maccabees, brother. The mind 
of a slave. Second Maccabees, the second chapter, the first through the third verse. Second Maccabees 2 verse 1. It is also found in the records that Jeremy the prophet commanded them that were carried away to take of the fire, as it hath been signified. This is where it says Jeremy is talking about Jeremiah, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 2. And how that the prophet, having given them the law, charged them not to forget the commandments of the Lord, and that they should not err in their minds when they see images of silver and gold with their ornaments. And with other such speeches exhorted he them, that the law should not depart from their hearts. Brothers and sisters, here it was. Jeremiah says the corruption of the mind was a possibility while enduring captivity. He cautioned us not to emulate the oppressors. I'm going to read that from the top. Because Jeremiah understood, according to prophecy, we were going to serve. And we were going to serve longer than he was going to live. And he was warning us, saying, listen, amongst this, while you're in captivity, don't let them rock you. Don't let them rock you to sleep. It's a possibility. Read the first verse, brother, please. Verse 1. It is also found in the records that Jeremy the prophet commanded them that were carried away to take of the fire. As it hath been signified. Continue. And how that the prophet, having given them the law, charged them not to forget the commandments of the Lord, and that they should not err in their minds. And that what? They should not err in their minds. Error in their minds. Continue. When they see images of silver and gold with their ornaments, and with other such speeches exhorted he them. That the law should not depart from their hearts. So he cautioned Israel not to emulate the oppressor. Why? Because the emulation of the oppressor would give, give evidence to our captive mentality. So he's saying when you go and see all their gold and their, their idols and all that. Listen, don't err in your mind. Okay? Because why? He already knew that our people are attend. We love tangible things. We are the only people that had an invisible God. Everyone else's God was visible. We're very, that's, you know, how we're made. We're very carnal. We're into flesh. We're into, you know, because we're physical specimens. We're very strong. We're very fast. So everything is about that. No intellect. We don't care about that. It's just because of how physically gifted God has made us that this is how we think. Here it was. He's telling us not to err in their minds when they see the silver, the gold, the ornaments. So he was cautioning us not to emulate the oppressor. Why? Because that would give evidence of a captive mentality. Let us show you. Let's go to 2 Maccabees 6 and 7, my brother. Second Maccabees 6 verse 7 And in the day of the king's birth Every month they were brought by bitter constraint To eat of the sacrifices They were forced Every day of the king's birth month And when the fast of Bacchus was kept The fast or the feast of Bacchus Brothers and sisters I want you to look that up Because there's something called the Bacchus Day Parade In Mardi Gras 
<laughs> Mardi Gras connects to this right here, this fast, this feast, brothers and sisters, of Bacchus. I really want you to look that up. Look that up, brothers and sisters. Mardi Gras down in New Orleans with all that, um, you know, all that evil going on down there. Read that from the top, please, brother. Verse 7. And in the day of the king's birth, every month they were brought by bitter constraint to eat of the sacrifices. And when the fast of Bacchus was kept, the Jews were compelled to go in procession to Bacchus, carrying ivy. Carrying what? Carrying ivy. Where? Now, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See, this is why you have to read. Ivy? Isn't that, in, isn't that in connection with some of the holidays, brothers and sisters? Hmm? It says the Jews, Israelites, the black men, were compelled, they were forced to follow this. Continue, brother. Verse 8. Moreover, there went out a decree to the neighbor cities of the heathen by the suggestion of Ptolemy against the Jews. So here it was. Ptolemy had a decree that he sent, the king had a decree that he sent amongst all the other nations against the Jews. That they should observe the same fashions. That what? That they should observe the same fashions. That what, brother? They should observe the same fashions and be partakers of their sacrifices. Continue, brother. And whoso would not conform themselves to the manners of the Gentiles should be put to death. Then might a man have seen the present misery. Look at that. See? So they wanted to force their customs on us, knowing that future generations would intrinsically follow them. See? Following their religious observances and holidays is a sign of bondage, brothers and sisters. You see how they forced it? See? So they understood. Why? Because they seek wisdom. The book of Maccabees is during the Greek Empire. Alexander the Greek. Antiochus Epiphanes. Philip of Macedonia. These were Edomites. They sought after wisdom. So they understood. We need to force them. Because we'll only have to force them for a little while. As the children grow up, they'll get used to it. We'll glamorize it. And then, listen, you won't even have to force them. They'll want to do it. You see how intelligent, how diabolically genius that is? Why? Because they're learned, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you that they forced us to follow their holidays. And now you look in our community, they don't need to force us. So if you're following their holidays, brothers and sisters, it's part of the slave mentality. The, the literature has proven that. Let's go to Jeremiah, brother. Let's go there. Let's see what we can find. Because remember, <laughs> it was Jeremy the prophet or Jeremiah that said, listen, when you see their ornaments, when you see their gold, when you see their silver, do not let your mind err. When did he say that? Let's go to Jeremiah 10 and 2. Jeremiah 10 verse 2. What's that say, brother? Thus saith the Lord. What did he say? Learn not the way of the heathen. What did he say? Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. Learn not the ways of the heathen. He's saying, don't follow these Gentiles. You're my people. 
You don't follow heathens. And why is he calling Gentiles heathens? Because heathens live according to no law. So according to the Bible, if you have no law, you're heathen. <laughs> you might as well be a caveman. You eat anything you want. You sleep with whatever you want. You wear whatever you want. Right? You're like a caveman. No law. The Bible call you a heathen. Read that again, please, brother. Verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. Now look at this, brothers and sisters, because there's something key. He said, be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. So it's the Edomites, it's the Gentiles that are looking for solar eclipse and blood and moon and all this. The most had said, nah, we don't deal with that garbage. I've seen people travel to other states to see a solar eclipse. <laughs> he said, listen, don't be dismayed at the signs of heaven. Don't pay attention to what's going on out there. Continue, brother. Verse 3. For the customs of the people are vain. Read that again, brother. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen, with the axe. Now, brothers and sisters. It said the customs of these people are in are vain. One of the one of their customs is to go into the forest, cut a tree down with an axe, right? Verse four. They deck it with silver and with gold. They do what? They deck it with silver and with gold. They do what, brother? They deck it with silver and with gold. They deck the halls with <laughs> Look at this. Don't tell me the Bible is, I mean, there is no book, brothers and sisters, because this was well before Christ. This was well before Christ, that he's doing what? He's prophesying one of their customs, their heathenistic customs is Christmas, the Christmas tree. Now, of course, they didn't call it Christmas. They called it something else, but yet the worship was the same. Read verse three again, brother, please. Jeremiah 10 and three, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen, with the axe. And listen, where I'm from, some people, they go out to gimbals and all that. They cut down their own trees as part of their tradition. Verse 4. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. So they put the trim, the gold and silver trim with the lights around it. And it says they fashion it with nails and with hammers. Nowadays, what do they do? You screw in those nails. You screw it in, right? Down at the bottom to hold it up right. Continue, brother. Verse 5. They are upright as the palm tree, mm. but speak not. Now look at this. Don't tell me this ain't Christmas, brothers and sisters. And if this is the same worship, why is this being done in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Christ, if it has anything to do with Christ? See? This has nothing to do with Christ. Christ was nowhere on the scene while they was doing this worship. This was the worship of Nimrod, brothers and sisters. This was idolatry. Why? Because here it is, you take a tree out of the forest, something that God created. You dress it up with gold and silver and colors and lights. You put it in your house. You erect it up. Then you put gifts under it and get on your knees under this tree. 
You bow down to this tree. You get your children to bow down to this tree. Getting up under there. See, it was all strategic. Satan was strategic. Why? What did he ask Christ to do in Matthew, the fourth chapter? <laughs> he said, listen, if you fall on your knees and worship me, I'll give you everything. Satan desires worship. He doesn't care if you know you're worshiping, worshiping him or not. As long as you worship him. He doesn't care if you know. So we're showing you that this particular holiday is part of the slave's captivity mindset. It was something that was forced in Maccabees. Now we're doing it on our own. See? Now our people, and you know our people, flamboyant as could be. I mean, we got an overly, you know, our people, there is no in-between with us. We just, everything we do is just extra. I, you know, I saw a picture the other day of a brother. His his tree was so big it was bent over, brothers and sisters. This is what our people do. I'm like, we perish for a lack of knowledge. It's pagan. Christmas is pagan. It has nothing to do with Christ. Christ mass. Mass means death, brothers and sisters. Look it up. <laughs> so they're celebrating the death of Christ with a tree. The same thing that killed Christ. See? So we're showing you, when you see this, when you see people following these Edomite, not just the Edomite, when you see people following these heathenistic customs, you understand the mind, the slave's mentality is still there. And many of our people don't even know it's a slave's mentality. It's just what they do. See? That's why the Bible is so important. That's why the psalmist said what? Following the commandments have made me wiser than my enemies. See? Read, read it again, brother. We're going to read it from the top. Read verse 3, please. Jeremiah 10 and 3. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen, with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. Now, brothers and sisters, this is it says they can't speak. These trees can't speak. They need to be born. They must be carried, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them because they can't do evil. Why? Because our people are our people are very superstitious. So they believe that if you didn't do this, that you will be haunted by an evil spirit. This is what Nimrod's mother taught. Why? Nimrod died. This fir tree, this tree popped up over his grave. And so, so what happened? This was Babylonian brothers and sisters. They said, well, listen. You have to take this tree that popped up over his grave. You put it in your house. Dress it up with... And during this time, this was real gold and all that, brothers and sisters. Not that fake false trim that people are dealing with. They were putting real gold in all this. And they would have to put gifts under it. For Nimrod. And if they didn't do that, they believed... Or they were being taught that they would be hunted by evil spirits the whole next year. See? Do your research. Santa, 
unscramble that or scramble that Satan, the man in red coming out of the fire. <laughs> I mean, a man coming out of the fire in red. Brothers and sisters, we're showing you how to point out that mentality. The mind of a slave. Let's go to 2 Maccabees, my brother. 4 and 13. I really hope this helps our people. I really hope this helps our people and the Gentiles who hear this. I hope there's enough transferable truth where you can learn from this. Because guess what? Gentiles are slaves too. They're slaves to something else. They're slaves to sin. See, Israel have two things going on. They're slaves to physical people. To another nation and their slaves to sin. See? So that's what makes ours a little bit more deep, a little bit tougher. Because not only only are we enslaved to the Romans physically, right? But then you have that spiritual captivity also. Let's read the 13th verse, brother. Second Maccabees 4, verse 13. Now such was the height of Greek fashions, an increase of heathenish manners through the exceeding profaneness of Jason, that ungodly wretch, and no high priest. So here it says, during this time was the height of Greek fashion and the increase of heathenish customs. And then it goes to speak about a brother named Jason, who was an Israelite, who became priest, who did what? He was a shepherd of our people, and he's the one who started getting us to do this stuff. He started getting us to wear Greek clothing, dress like them, and all this. So this is where our sisters started liking the straight hair. It was during here because they were, you know, the Greeks were in rulership, and they're seeing how they're dressing, they're seeing how their hair is, and now our sisters is walking around with somebody else's, you know, Somebody else's whole texture of head. Our sisters have good hair, curly hair, hair that defies gravity. And then you go put some, you know. Let me get off my soapbox. Read that, brother, please. Verse 13. Now such was the height of Greek fashions, an increase of the heath heathenish manners through the exceeding profaneness of Jason, that ungodly wretch. And no high priest, that the priest had no courage to serve any more at the altar, but despising the temple and neglecting the sacrifices, hastened to be partakers of the unlawful allowance in the place of exercise. In the what? In the place of exercise, after the game of discus called them forth. Now, brothers and sisters, here it was the gymnasiums that was Greek, brothers and sisters. That's where that came from. Gymnasium means naked learning. Place of naked learning. Look it up, brothers and sisters. In the original gymnasiums, you were naked. See? The Olympics. All that... Look at the... It says the games of discus. <laughs> See, all that came from Edomites. That came from Greeks. Our people didn't play sports. Okay? We didn't need to play sports. They needed us to play. So once they had taken us down, they got us to play on their side against, you know, in the Olympics 
against other nations and they couldn't be beat. Because you know, if you got the black man, he runs the fastest, he jumps the you know the highest, he punches the hardest. Is and that's not to be you know, we're not trying to be braggadocious or anything. It's just how God made us. God made us. It tells you when Jacob and Esau was born, he made the younger stronger than the elder. So everyone knows that they know that. If they had to put their money on somebody, if they could just pull a black dude off the street and a white dude off the street and put them in the ring, who are you putting your money on? Even white people will put their money on the black guy. If you just picked up a black guy off the street and a Chinese guy off the street, who are you putting your money on? So the world knows that. We're not trying to be braggadocious here. They understood this and that proves that the captivity was mental because how could it be that somebody weaker than us has us serving them? When you have three masters on the property and 200 slaves, how is that? How is it that you have two, three white guys controlling 200 blacks, you know, Children, men, and women. Because it's spiritual, brothers and sisters. It's spiritual. The Most High put us under that curse. Read verse 14 again, brother, please. Second Maccabees 4, verse 14. That the priests had no courage to serve any more at the altar, but despising the temple and neglecting the sacrifices asking to be partakers of the unlawful allowance in the place of exercise after the game of discus called them forth continue not setting by the honors of their fathers so our brothers our people stop following the ways of the most high our forefathers abraham isaac and jacob but liking the glory of the grecians best of all but what but liking the glory of the grecians best of all they started to like the glory the customs, the style, the manner of the Greeks, best of all. So we disregarded what Jews and Israelites do. We disregarded what Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. We disregarded all that to follow these Greeks, these heathens. Continue, brother. Verse 16. By reason whereof sore calamity came upon them. It says, brothers and sisters, since you like Greek fashion... In man is best of all. What happened? By reason whereof sore calamity came upon them. Well, since you like their, you know, their way, calamities came upon us. For they had them to be their enemies and avengers, whose custom they followed so earnestly. Mm. Read that again, brother. Verse 16. Verse 16. By reason whereof sore calamity came upon them. For they had them to be their enemies and avengers, whose custom they followed so earnestly. Their enemies is the people whose custom they follow so earnestly. Whose custom they follow so earnestly, and unto whom they desire to be like in all things. And unto what, brother? And unto whom they desire to be like in all things. And unto whom they desire to be like in all things. See? That's where it began. Our people want to be white. They want to dress white. They want to act white. They want to look white. 
that began here, brothers and sisters. And listen, I don't have a problem with white people, but I there ain't no way. <laughs> there ain't no way, okay? <laughs> but it's showing you that our people started to follow the customs. And see, when they saw this, when they saw us following the customs, they knew they had us. They knew it. They're not even fighting back. Initially, they had to kill us to get us to follow their customs. Now, they like, listen, they like our stuff better than theirs. <laughs> see? So here we see the symptoms of a people becoming comfortable in captivity. It says their enemies is whose custom they follow so earnestly. And unto them who they desire to be like in all things. We got to wake our people up. Because you don't like things just because you like them. No, you've been programmed. They've told you what to like through that 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 television, tell a lie visually. See? Let's go to Proverbs, brother, 3 and 31, please. The mind of a slave. Proverbs 3, verse 31. Envy thou not the oppressor. And choose none of his ways. Do what, brother? Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. Envy of the prosperous easily leads to imitating his ways, brothers and sisters. If you are an oppressed people, you lie in wait in the shadows for an opportunity to imitate they whom have oppressed you. Read that again, brother. Verse 31, envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. See? So here it is, brothers and sisters. That's just how it is. When you're oppressed, you're just waiting for an opportunity to emulate who has oppressed you. Why? Because they have modeled for you an idea of what success looks like. See? So you're like, oh, well, that's what success is. The people who are ruling over us, who have all the control, this is what they're doing. So I should do that. You see that, brothers and sisters? It's not by coincidence that when we come into the truth, brothers and sisters, one of the first things that we began to do is pull away from their holidays. It's one of the first things we begin to do. We leave the Easter. We... We leave the Christmas. We leave the New Year's. And see, when you do that, everyone raises their antennas, even your family, because they're looking like, is he trying to wake up from this? <laughs> is he trying to wake up from this, this slumber, this sleep? And see, when the enemy sees that, they understand what's going on. Because why in the world wouldn't you want to celebrate Christmas, Negro? <laughs> huh? You don't want no eggs, no, 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 you know, no, no colored eggs, Negro? Huh? You don't want to shoot no fireworks off, Negro? Why not, Negro? See? So they understand, brothers and sisters, once that part breaks, they're losing control. 
they're losing control and they know it. Once you break from the Sunday worship, once you break from the Christmas, once you break from the Easter, once you break from the Valentine's Day, see, when they see that, they understand. They understand that it's time. So, brothers and sisters, we have to come up out of their ways, brothers and sisters. It's part of our captivity. It's part of your slaves' mentality. They had to kill our forefathers to do this stuff that you're, you're basking in, that you, you beg to do, you salivate to do. See, we're pointing out the slaves' mentality. And guess what? I see the wealthy of our people doing it. The wealthy of our people are celebrating Christmas. <laughs> The wealthy of our people celebrating Easter. See, so it's not that they feel like they need to do it to be successful because they're already successful. It's the mentality. It's the mindset. So forget Passover. Forget Purim with, you know, with Esther when she saved our people. Her and Mordecai. Forget that. Forget the Feast of Tabernacles. Right? Forget the Feast of Dedication or what Jewish people call Hanukkah. Forget all that, right? Where's my Christmas tree? My people got to wake up. Let's go to Deuteronomy 32 and 7, brother. Deuteronomy 32 and 7. Deuteronomy 32, verse 7. What's that say, brother? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee. Thy elders, and they will tell thee. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 7. Remember the days of old. No, forget the past. Remember the days of old. That was hundreds of years ago. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee. Thy elders, and they will tell thee. See? So according to the Bible, you are supposed to remember you are supposed to remember the past. You are supposed to consider what's transpired in previous generations. While you have the same people that have oppressed us say, You wasn't a slave. Not like you wasn't on the slave ships. Get over that. That was a hundred years ago. That was this years ago. See? You're like, don't don't look into the past because we don't need you to see what's there. Okay? Just stay a good slave and, and eat this poor child. <laughs> Remember the past, right? Let's do that. Let's go to Exodus 16 and 1. Remember the days of old, right? Okay. Let's do that. Let's go to Exodus 16 and 1 through 5. Exodus 16 verse 1 And they took their journey from Elim and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt So here it was brothers and sisters this is at the beginning of us leaving Egypt this is once we've departed verse 2 and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So we started to complain against the leadership. Verse 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, 
Would to God be we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Read that again, brother. Verse 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the hand, or excuse me, in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them. That what? That I may prove them, whether they will walk in my law or no. So brothers and sisters, we're going to take a look into the past. We're going to take a look at the possible ethical implications of the gathering of manna. Okay, brothers and sisters, because it said what? Consider the past. We're seeing that a rich corpus of ethical principles and norms can be derived from this passage. Okay? I need you to read three again, brother, please. Exodus 16, verse 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. We would rather die in Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots. When we had meat to eat. And when we did eat the bread to the full. When we had more bread than enough. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Look at this. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Because we see that they would <clears throat> rather have their chains than to trust. You see that? So now they're doing what? They're remembering captivity, saying, well, it was better there. <laughs> you see that, brothers and sisters? There's our people here. While they're being beat and whipped. They're like, when we was in Egypt, we could eat meat, bread, and, and all of that. We want to go back there. Showing you that our people love the chains. They love the chains. Rather than trust God, they're like, put these chains back on me. Okay? See? So here we see the perceived reality was more negative than the the perceived past. At this time where they didn't have meat to eat, they believed that being slaves was better than that. Why? Because they had somebody providing it for them. See, when you're a slave, the slave master have to feed you. Because that's how you work. See? So he has to keep you fed so you can pick this cotton. See? Read the next scripture, brother. Verse 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them, whether they will walk in my law or no. Now, brothers and sisters, they could gather what they needed and not what they could. A limit was set for consumption. Do you see that? He said they should gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them. See, so they should not become the victims of intemperance or overindulgence. This is what he's showing. Read the next scripture, brother. Exodus 16 and 5. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in. 
and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Now, here it was on the sixth day. Why? Because they weren't allowed to gather on the Sabbath. So this was the first observance, brothers and sisters. This was the first observance in regard to the Sabbath, brothers and sisters. See? Where's the Ten Commandments at in the Bible? Exodus 20. This is here in Exodus 16 before the Ten Commandments. You see that? See? So he said that they should gather a certain rate every day. Not as much as they wanted to. Not as much as they could, but a certain rate. Why? So the Most High could prove us. Whether we could be obedient. See? So the Most High was teaching us something there. He was teaching us not to become the victims of intemperance or overindulgence. So we know what? Modern consumerism with this underlying neoliberal economic philosophy appears to violate these principles in many ways. He said, gather a certain rate every day. All right. And then he said, on the day before the Sabbath, I'm going to give you double. Right. What is he trying to do? He's trying to teach something here. Let's go to Proverbs 22 and 7, brother. We're showing you the lessons we learned in the wilderness with the manna. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. God wanted to protect us from a lifestyle of consumerism. Knowing that debt brings time of servitude. See? So he understood that. He said, gather a certain rate every day. I don't want you dealing with overindulgence. I need you to trust me. Why? Read it again, please, brother. Verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Consumerism, brothers and sisters. And its underlining ideology raises many ethical concerns as we read here, the rich rule over the poor and those, they who borrow become servants to they who've lent. So the manna taught us to consume what is needed and avoid intemperance and overindulgence. See, this is what the most I was trying to teach us. He was trying to keep us free. He understood that if you deal with overindulgence, if you deal with consumerism, you will become a slave. If you owe somebody, you owe them time of servitude. If you have debt, you owe time of servitude. And they know this. That's why they keep piling on the debt. Brothers and sisters, school loans, credit card loans, all this. Why? Because you have to work. Why do you have to work? Because you got school loans. <laughs> so they know how many years they're going to get out of you. Because you got the car bill that, you know, is going to be five years. They know this. This is how they keep us, brothers and sisters. To now, we're paying five, ten thousand more than the car was actually worth. This is how they do it. See, we have to show our people how they've been tricked into servitude. Because the Most High knew. Let's go to Deuteronomy, brother. 28 and 43. We're going to have Brother Christopher read verse 43. 
through 47. Deuteronomy 28, verse 43. What's that say, brother? The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee every very high, and thou shalt come down very low. Now look at this. This was part of the curse. Deuteronomy 28. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 43. The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high, and thou shalt come down very low. So the strangers, the other nations, they would get up so high above us, and we would come down very low. Verse 44. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. Now remember, Proverbs 22 and 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You see that? Read that again, brother, please. Verse 44. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. He shall lend to us. We shall not lend to him. Continue. Verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee, and shall pursue thee, and overtake thee, till thou be destroyed. Because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. And they, shall, and they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder, and upon thy seed forever. Continue, brother. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. So he says, since you don't want to serve me, Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee. See, he said, you're going to serve somebody. You don't want to serve me? Okay. I got somebody for you. Continue. In hunger and in thirst. Start at the beginning of 48, please, brother. Deuteronomy 28, verse 48. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee. See? So look at that, brothers and sisters talked about them lending see so you have to be careful with that brothers and sisters don't incur debt try your hardest against that now i know people getting houses and all that stuff but you need to be very careful brothers and sisters be very careful incurring debt because that's how they hold you okay let's go to exodus 16 brother Exodus 16 and 22. We're going to have Brother Chris read 22 and 23. Exodus 16, verse 22. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two almers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. So read that one more time, brother. I need our people to catch this. Verse 22. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. So on Friday they gathered twice as much bread. Two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye shall bake today. And see that ye will see and that which remained over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. Brothers and sisters, Exodus 16 is the first indication of the biblical revelation of the Sabbath. 
The principle of rest is what we're seeing here. And guess what? That principle of rest is at the heart of consumerism. People need more money to pay for increased consumption. So guess what? Without rest, labor becomes an idol. Do you see what he was trying to prepare us for, brothers and sisters? He's saying, if you can't not spend money for a single day, if you can't not work for a single day, you're going to be a slave. You see that? You, you can't even go a day without spending money. You can't even go a day without working. Why are you working? Because you want money. So you can spend money. You see this, brothers and sisters? This is what the Most High was looking to teach us. This is what the Most High was looking to teach us from Exodus. Before the promised land. See, he was trying to keep us free. So your inability to not spend money on the Sabbath is part of your slave mentality. You have to spend some money. And guess what? Guess who the money belonged to? Whose face is on it? That's who you are slave to. The people that share that hue. The scarlet people. See? You can't go a single day without spending that money. The most I was trying to say was, let's go to Deuteronomy 5 and 15, brother. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. And remember that thou was a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 15. And remember that thou was a servant in the land of Egypt. Where? In the land of Egypt. And that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. He did what? Commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He's telling you that the Sabbath is a sign of our freedom. See, it says, remember, you were a servant in Egypt. And I freed you. That's why I told you to keep the Sabbath day. Why? Because as a slave, you worked every day. You don't tell me that, you know, you were Jew and you got to take the Sabbath up. Nah. Get beaten, whipped up on your back. Now get out there and pick out them peas. See? The Most High said that's a sign of your freedom. Slaves can't do that. Slaves can't say, well, you know what? I'm not, you know, I ain't spending no money today. You see that, brothers and sisters? He said, it's a sign of your freedom. Read that again, brother, please. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. And remember that thou was a servant in the land of Egypt. Remember, you was a slave. And that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. You was a slave and I saved you. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. See, and since I saved you from being a slave, I told you to observe the Sabbath, which is not to spend, any, don't do anything that you do on the other days on that day. This is what he commanded us, brothers and sisters. Why? Because it was a sign of our freedom. We didn't have that right to do as slaves. You see what the Most High was trying to prepare us for? And our people can't even do that. 
And guess what? Satan know about the Sabbath. That's why the earth is in an uproar on Saturdays. All the sales is going on. Everyone's out there laughing and giggling and at the mall, at the theme park, music loud, at the barbershop. Especially amongst our people. Right? See, you work five days a week. You, you work all week. They pay you on this, you know, on Friday. <laughs> it's all strategic. You've been broke all week and they're going to pay you right before the Sabbath come in. See, it's all strategic. They want to show you you're still a slave. And then what? When Sunday comes, when Satan's day comes, when the first day of the week comes, everything opens up late. It closes early. It's quiet. It's somber. While on God's day, on the Most High's day, on the Sabbath, on the Saturday, there's nothing but parties and music and noise. And then it gets quiet on, on Sunday, Satan's day, the worship of the sun. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother, in the Apocrypha. The mind of a slave. I really pray that this is hitting our people. I, I really pray that this, our people internalize what the Bible is showing us today. How, how far in we are, how deep our people are in, brothers and sisters. We got to stand together. We got to come out together. Ecclesiasticus 38 verse 24 The wisdom of a learned man cometh by opportunity of leisure and he that hath little business shall become wise Read that again brother please Verse 24 The wisdom of a learned man cometh by opportunity of leisure and he that hath little business shall become wise Look at that The most high gave us a day he commanded us to sit still he commanded us not to spend money. And then when you link that with this particular text, it tells you that a man does what? He becomes wise. He gains his knowledge in his time of leisure. So what is this telling you? This is telling you, you can look at what a man does in his leisurely time and know what he's going to be. See? And then it tells you, he that have little business shall be wise. He who's not a busybody. He who can sit his behind down. Our people can't even sit down. I know brothers and sisters who can't even sit in the house and read for two hours. Just got to be up walking around and all that. That's a spirit. That's a demon, brothers and sisters. Where I'm from in the hood and all that, you would see, you know, fiends or whatever. It would be one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning and they would just be walking. There's nothing open. They're not going anywhere. They just can't be still. That's a spirit, brothers and sisters. Why do we know? Because in the gospel, it tells you that evil spirits walk up and down the earth looking for a body. See? Remember, what did Satan say in the book of Job? He said, Satan, where have you been? He said, oh, I've been roaming up and down the earth. See? It's a spirit when you can't sit still. There's something going on internally. 
And Ecclesiasticus is telling us that the wisdom of a learned man comes in his leisure. What do you do with your time of leisure? And guess what? If you use it wisely, he'll give you more time of leisure. See, that's the key. If you operate properly with that time, he will give you more time, whether that's you making more money so you have to work less hours or whatever the case is. See? While our people can't even sit down, we can't even sit still. Gotta be out. Gotta be walking over here. Let me walk, go on a trail and let me do this. Sit down. It was against the law to even leave the house on the Sabbath. I know people who, you know, who observe the Sabbath and all that, but they still don't stay in the house. They say, well, I need to go on a walk and I need to do this and do that. It's just like, you're a busybody. Because in the Torah, Moses told us, do not leave your house on the Sabbath. Don't go out on no journey. Sit down. And our people struggle with that. Today, we struggle with that. Let's go to Isaiah 30, brother. We're almost done here. We're at Isaiah, the 30th chapter, the first through the third verse. Isaiah 30, verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Brothers and sisters, this particular text highlights our misguided trust in those who will prove to be fraudulent. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. That we take counsel, but not of the Most High. We look for something to cover us but not the Most High Spirit. Continue, brother. Verse 2. That walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh. Brothers and sisters, Pharaoh was government, right? He would have been the king today, right? So it's telling you, you go down to those who have enslaved you. We go down there and beg for rights. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. We want rights. We want reparations. The Most High is like, you a slave. How are you going to go to the same people that's oppressing you and ask them for rights? And see, the white people, they love it. The Edomites, they love it when you're begging. Because it shows them that they over you. Well, you got to beg me for reparations. You got to beg me for stamps. You got to beg me for all this stuff. That makes them feel good. It makes them feel powerful. I'm not marching for anything. Imagine Christ and the disciples out there marching. Nah. Read verse 2, brother, please. Verse 2. That walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. To trust in what? To trust in the shadow of Egypt. A shadow. It's something that it has no substance. So it's telling you the, the government's power is a shadow, brothers and sisters. You can't touch it. The text is telling us time and time again, we've complied with the creation over the creator. 
Excuse me. Read three again, brother, please. Excuse me. Read verse three, please. Verse three. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. See, since you want to trust them, you want to trust their vaccines, you want to trust their media, hmm? Let that be your shame. Let that be your confusion. See, you want to trust their education? Hmm? See, brothers and sisters, he said, you, you trust everybody but me. See? If a white person tell you something, you'll believe that. Let, let some, some people that look like you come and tell you. <laughs> Our families. How many times, brothers and sisters, have you tried to share this truth with your family? And they don't want to hear nothing that you have to say. But let a white, you know, don't let one of, you know, uh, Elder Bob and, you know, all that from the Mormons and all that. They got 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds walking around calling themselves elders. <laughs> all up in the hood, like, no respect. When you can send some wet behind the ear, you know, teenager up in the, the, the most, you know, the most hoodest hood. Without a care, without a worry, coming on bikes and all that. They know we have no spiritual defense. We trust in the government. The same government who has destroyed us from the beginning. Jump to verse 12 and 13, brother, please. Because everything we're reading is part of the slave's mind. Isaiah 30, verse 12. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness. They trust in what? Trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon. He said you trust in oppression, and you stay thereon. We trust in uh, oppression. Democrat, Republic. Right? Voting. All this stuff, brothers and sisters, is showing that you trust them. I do not vote. Why? Because if you vote, that means you believe they can be better. You believe they can change. That's why I'm voting. See? I don't believe they can change. They're, they're doing exactly what they were meant to do. Our people are still not getting that. They're still not getting that. The way they treat us is strategic. It's the way the system was built according to the Bible. It's not going to change. We don't need to go beg them. Why? Because Christ going to make them change. That's what's going to happen. I'm not going to ask you for anything. You're going to see a black man coming out the sky with a beard in a bush with red eyes. And he's going to be ready for war. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 12. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon. Continue, brother. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall. This is a threatening of punishment, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 13. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall. Swelling out in a high wall, 
Who's breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. Who's breaking what, brother? Who's breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. See, so depending on government would involve us ultimately in complete and awful, excuse me, complete and awful ruin, brothers and sisters. When it says as a breach ready to fall, that's like having a wall, a dam, brothers and sisters, right? And it has one little crack in that thing. And then it just, it just gives. And the whole thing comes down. So what we're seeing here is that rejecting the Most High's counsel and placing confidence in the creature would cause devastation. Those who make the Most High alone their confidence will have comfort. See? You run out there and get them vaccines if you want to. You trust them. You trust them. Well, the statistics say this and the CDC say that. <laughs> Who is the CDC? Who run the CDC? Hmm? Is that us? Who run these hospitals? Is that us? See? Lie after lie after lie. Lie after lie after lie. And our people just eat it up. That was a long time ago, they. They, they they don't have a problem with us. They said black people can get the vaccine first because they care. <laughs> I mean, how simple can you be? I mean, according to them, you know, Edomites, the white, the Europeans are actually the majority. So since you're the majority, you should get it first because it's a lot of y'all, you know, we want to protect you, you know. Y'all been so good to us. I think you should get the vaccine first because, like you said, you're the majority, right? <laughs> See? Let's go to Isaiah 1 and 3, brother, and we'll end it here. Isaiah, the first chapter, the third through the ninth verse. We'll end it here, brothers and sisters. Today's lesson, the mind of a slave. Isaiah 1 verse 3, the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. This text highlights the ingratitude of the children of Israel. It says the ox, even the ass, the donkey knows his master. Israel does not know, they don't even consider who their owner is. Continue, continue brother. Verse 4, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evil doers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backwards. They went where? They are gone away backwards. So, brothers and sisters, the third verse in the first chapter of Isaiah told us that even the dumbest of animals look to their masters substance but not us verse 4 does what verse 4 is the source of all of our ills can you read that again brother verse 4 a sinful nation a people laden with iniquity a seed of evil doers children that are corruptors they have forsaken the Lord they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger they are gone away backwards continue brother please why should ye be stricken any more? The Most High is asking what? Why should ye be stricken any more? Why should you be hurt any more? 
ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. Israel will continue to be stricken as long as we rebel. He's saying, why keep taking these lashes? Why keep getting beat on your back? Hmm? Our people, when the Most High is trying to get them in line, they do what? They revolt more and more and more. They become worse. Continue, brother. Verse 6. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and per putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Where, brothers and sisters, are you seeing this? He said from the, the head to the soles of our feet, the whole thing is sick. Where our disobedience and lack of submission has brought us is right here. Putrefying souls, right? Wounds and bruises. See? Continue, brother. Isaiah 1 and 7. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. Your land, Israel, the promised land. Strangers devour it in your presence. People are in our land right now. Strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. We're reading the consequences of our sinful conduct. Continue, brother. Verse 8. And the daughter of Zion is left as cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Except the Most High leave a very small remnant. It's only by the mercy of the Most High that we survive at all, brothers and sisters. But the Bible tells you many of Israelites are going to be utterly destroyed. Because it's too much evil going on, brothers and sisters. You all know how stiff-necked and stubborn and obstinate our people are. Okay? We're the ones making the music, killing each other. We're the ones selling the drugs to each other. That's us. That's not the white man's fault. The white man didn't put the gun in your hand. The white man didn't put the blue or red bandana in your pocket. The white man didn't cook the crack for you. Now, he may have gave you access to it, right? But it's us, brothers and sisters. And the Most High is saying, I'm going to have to destroy you off over 90%. Of the Israelites. 90% of us are going to die. Brothers and sisters. That's in the Bible. Go look at Amos. 90% are going to die. Because they refuse. They refuse. A new mentality. Like Paul said. The only way. Is to have a transformation. A renewal of your mind. Is the only way. To do what? To operate in a way in which is acceptable to the Creator. Today's lesson, brothers and sisters. The mind of a slave. We went into a plethora of scriptures. Detailing some of the things that go on amongst our community. And we've proven that what? A lot of this is cause and effect. A lot of this have come from captivity. A lot of this have come from curses, from disobedience. 
a lot of this is still being perpetuated amongst our people, you know, in our communities as we speak, brothers and sisters. We have to first be able to identify it and then change it. The Most High gave us the Bible to do what? To help our people wake up. I pray that our people internalize what they've learned today. Pray on that. And when you see those certain, when you see evidence of the slave's mindset, we have to help our people out, brothers and sisters. We have to help our people out of this ditch, brothers and sisters. Today's lesson, the mind of a slave. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.